Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range, or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double breasted black blazer from a new to me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for, but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Monica Packer, and this is About Progress, where we are about progress made practical. So glad you're here. Whenever I tell someone that I used to be a middle school teacher, I usually get a response somewhere along the line of, bless you, like all drawn out like that. The thing is, I loved those kids. I could discipline them like children, but talk to them like adults, meaning they loved stickers, prize charts, and praise like little kids, but they also loved having grown-up conversations while they were learning critical thinking. I found it both natural and so rewarding to really connect with my teen students. Why could I do that really? Well, because they were not my teens. I am under no illusion that just because I was a good middle school teacher, I'll make a good parent to teens in middle school. In fact, honestly, I feel a little, okay, a lot unprepared for what is about to come around the Packer family corner with my oldest being 12. That's why I am so happy and personally and selfishly excited to be sharing a unique conversation with you today all about perfectionism in parenting, especially teens. 
what you'll hear is a co-interview situation that I've never done before with Heather Frazier from the podcast Pivot Parenting. She will first interview me about perfectionism and how it shows up with our kids and in our parenting and what we can do as parents to better help our kids navigate those tendencies while modeling progress over perfection ourselves. Then in the second half, I get to interview Heather about how to handle when our teens start to differentiate themselves from us. In other words, they don't seem like they love us so much anymore and how this translates to our children pointing out our lack of perfection. In other words, them noticing and criticizing us for all of our flaws and our failures. The good news is however non-fun all of that is, it's actually developmentally appropriate. So we're going to talk about that too. Heather Fraser is a teen whisperer as a mom of four and a life coach who helps you see that you haven't failed as a parent and learn to love your parenting again. Her podcast, Pivot Parenting, helps parents of teens pivot their approach to parenting so they can better understand, communicate, and connect with their teens. Heather and I are both airing these conversations on our podcast this week, so be sure to check out Pivot Parenting right after you listen to this episode. Our chat is coming up right after the break. Isn't it the best when a simple piece of advice can change so much? You know this podcast is all about progress made practical, and guess what? We are celebrating our seventh anniversary coming up in November. To honor both this anniversary and the do something focus this podcast has inspired, we want you to host your own Tricks and Treats Night. I shared a short episode on this, go back to episode 524, but here's a nutshell on how this works. You invite a few friends to your home for some treats, and while you eat them, have each guest share a simple trick that has made a big difference in their life, from parenting to marriage, from personal development to cleaning. It's all about doable, practical ways we found ourselves making more progress. To make this gathering easier for you, you can get a ready for you, but still customizable invitation, an email and text template that you can send to your friends, and even an outline to follow the night of. You can find those free resources at aboutprogress.com slash tricks and treats. You can host this gathering anytime, but to get in on the collective fun, we suggest hosting sometime in October, hence the fun name. And when you do, don't forget to contact me through email or Instagram to share about your favorite tricks from the night. I'm so glad to be celebrating this anniversary in a unique way, community-wide. Again, for all the support you need to host a Tricks and Treats gathering, go to aboutprogress.com slash tricks and treats. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to today's episode of Pivot Parenting. I have a special guest, a fellow podcaster and friend, Monica Packer. Hello. This is fun. I'm glad we're doing something different. Yes, this is very fun. And Monica's show is called About Progress. And I love her podcast and her work. It speaks to me, but I would love to hear you introduce yourself, Monica, to my listeners. Sure. So I'm Monica Packer. I live in the Salt Lake area. I'm a podcaster, like you said, at About Progress. We're a personal development show that focuses on progress outside of perfectionism. And we try to work on a lot of practical ways we can grow in the real world, not this imaginary world that other people tend to act like we live in that kind of world when they give us advice. I'm also a mom of five kids and living the the dream and also the everyday reality that I think most people are who are listening to both of our shows. And, and since we're doing this really cool style of both interviewing each other and airing it on each of our shows, I also want to start with you introducing yourself to my listeners who don't know you. Yeah. My name's Heather Frazier. I live in Utah County with my four kids and some bonus kids and a bonus grandbaby that I love. And I found coaching when my oldest was about 15 years old. I could have used it when she was 12 and 13. Yeah. So we had a rough few years and then I figured out how to have a quality relationship with her and her brother that was fast on her heels of deciding I was the worst Mm. and I was able to turn things all around And then they would have their friends over and their friends would complain about their parents. And I just thought parents need to know the secrets that I have discovered. And so I decided to become a coach. I have my podcast, Pivot Parenting. And then I also coach privately, Instagram. I have a website with all kinds of good stuff, all the things. Great. I think we can just start by saying our main topic as an umbrella topic, and we both have different ways we're going to talk about it. It's perfectionism and parenting, both how to handle when your kids are acting more as perfectionist and how to also handle when your child becomes almost a perfectionist with you. Hey mom, you are a human and I don't like it. And I'm going to point it out all the time. So we talked in in advance, like you're going to take the lead uh, on the first round of this discussion. I'm excited. Yeah. So we're both airing this on our podcast. And so I'm going to ask Monica a few questions and then she'll turn around and ask me the first thing that I want to know, Monica, so that we have a good foundational understanding is how do you identify perfectionism? I say this to adult women all the time, but it applies to any age. Perfectionism is a misplacement of identity. It's us putting our worth and our sense of self on our outcomes, whether we have them or we do not have them. And perfectionists, I think, are often mislabeled as these type A, very stereotypical overachievers, although they absolutely can be that. But a big missing piece of the perfectionism puzzle is that a lot of perfectionists are the quote unquote, underachieving kind, the kinds that are waiting on the sideline, the sidelines of their lives, because they are waiting to get to the point where they have the time or energy or money, or because 
they tried the overachieving, did it work for them? They know they can't get the all version of the all or nothing. So they might as well stay safe on the sidelines of nothing. And you're going to see that in many different ways with kids. And we can definitely talk about that, but that's my initial way of framing what perfectionism is. I love that. So is perfectionism ever helpful in your opinion? I would say this is going to be a little controversial. (laughs) My honest answer is no. Yeah. Perfectionism is never helpful. And it's because of that identity piece. When you place your sense of self on outcomes, you will never win ever. And when people hear that, they have a lot of reservations because then they think that means they shouldn't try or that they shouldn't have goals or ambitions or work hard at things. And my answer to those concerns is that is perfectionism. When you have that framework of all or nothing, that's perfectionism. So there, there is a middle ground and actually it's the better ground. And to me that I define that as progress, obviously, because we're about progress, but yes, there is a way to still work to better oneself, to strive for things that are better, but it comes from a different place. It comes from a stronger and grounded sense of self that can be stable in the ups and downs that true growth requires of us, which involves failure. Perfectionists want to avoid failure at all costs, whether by overworking or underworking, right? So yes, there is a way to still grow, but there's never really a healthy version of perfectionism. Yeah, that's also my opinion. To me, it feels like a counterfeit of confidence. Looks like confidence, smells like confidence, but it's anything but confidence. Yes. And I would say as the stereotypical overachiever for quite some time that I projected that confidence, but it was not there. Yeah. It's, it's a very faulty foundation of confidence, but yeah, you, that is a good perspective. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So looking at parents who want to seem perfect, how do we consciously and subconsciously model this unhelpful way of seeing ourselves to our children. Let's start with just the, the simplest way that we often become perfectionistic parents. And that's placing our value as a parent, our identity as a parent off of how our children are doing. Yeah. I coach on that all the time. (laughs) And you know what? It's in many ways, a valid thing that we do because we do care and we love them and we want to do right by them. Yeah. And society teaches us that our kids really are an extension of us. Mm-hmm. Like you see somebody and you think, oh, what did their mom do to them? Mm-hmm. And in many you ways, that mean? is true to like some extent that is true. But also this is back to the all or nothing thing. It's not that black and white. Like no. these are humans and we can't control their behavior. We learn that when they're toddlers, but I think we forget it when they're also 12 to 18 years old as well. Like they cannot be the the way that we value our efficacy as parents. I was actually hearing this from my friend, Cheryl Cardall. She is a mom of kids with lots of needs. And those came out in the teen years, especially. And she did a mental health conference recently called fight like a mother conference. And she talked about this phrase that we hear. I'm only as happy as my saddest child 
My mom said that all growing up and I so get it. And it made me feel good knowing that my mom cared about how I felt. But Cheryl turned that on its head because she said, if that were true, I would never, ever, ever be happy. And my children need me to be stable so I can help them where they need it. So I, I guess that just goes back to the main way I think we can do it as parents is banking our identity as good parents off of how our children are doing. And that again, doesn't mean we go to the all or nothing route and just say, do whatever you want. You're a human, you have your agency and I can't control you. So I'm just not going to try. That's not the answer either. It's yeah. saying like they had a bad day. So I'm a bad parent. They had a good day. So I'm an amazing parent. What a dangerous roller coaster ride. Yeah. Or they're making good choices. So I'm a good parent or Mm -hmm. I just found weed. So I'm a bad parent. Yeah. Any other examples of conscious or subconscious? I'm just thinking about how we model failure and being human. I don't think it's right for our children to carry on their backs, the burden of our emotions and our struggles. That's not good parenting. You know, to say I'm having a really bad day. And you need to parent me and help my day go better. Yeah. Forcing your kid to walk on eggshells. Yes. Yes. But I also think it's healthy for your kids to see you model going through a bad day and how you handle that or facing a disappointment or a failure or messing up as a parent and what you do about those mistakes That way they can see it's okay for them to be human. It's okay for them to have a bad day or some bad emotions or unhealthy reactions and how to, because they learn from your modeling, repair where needed, try again where needed, take a look at what went wrong and decide how they're going to do it differently. And again, go back to that striving of trying and growing. There's a healthy level of differentiation for that. We have to maintain that. And that means again, we're respecting that they're not responsible for parenting us. But how cool would it be to have a parent who is having a bad day and to see them take care of themselves to say, I'm having a bad day today. So I need to go for a walk right now so I can just process these emotions. I'll be back in about 30 minutes. Or I, I had a big disappointment at work. Can I tell you a little bit about it? And then to say, here's how I'm trying to deal with this. I'm trying to do these things or to even just have them see it. And you're not always saying it. Yeah, that would be remarkable. How do we identify perfectionistic tendencies in our kids? This can be so tricky. I think most parents are going to start looking for the stereotypical signs of perfectionism. A kid who's very high anxiety, very good work ethic on that hamster wheel of just achievement and always trying to turn things out. Someone who does not deal well with failure at all, like in a very obvious way. Yeah. But when I talk to parents, most of the time it's not so visible. It's the kid who won't join the honors math class because they're convinced they won't do well, or they won't try out for the musical productions crew because they could not handle the rejection. It's often the kids who are quiet about not trying. They might seem lazy. They might seem unmotivated. And you might even be judging their level of work ethic. 
and just think what's wrong with you. Like you have to work hard and get going. So it's tricky. I think if you can just pay attention to what's going on with your kid and try to just notice how they're dealing with mistakes, how do they deal with them as a child and how has that maybe transitioned to a teen and just listening to your gut about where are they placing their worth? Do they have a strong sense of self? Do they know who they are? And most teens struggle with this. So that can be a little bit of a messy ground for sure. But your gut, I think will often be the lead here of, is this to another level that I need to be concerned? Yeah. The psychosocial stage of development in adolescence is identity. So they Mm -hmm. literally are trying to figure out who they want to be. That's why they burn through friends fast, music trends. One day they're wearing prissy pink and the next it's all black, but that totally makes sense. So how do we model then a healthy approach to goals and life? Because honestly, all we can do for our kids is mentor and love them. And like our example, I feel is the best thing that we can give them. I think so too. Are there any specifics that we can do as parents to show them what a healthy chasing our goals and going after things in life could potentially look like? Because we're not trying out for the play or the soccer team. Mm -hmm. Maybe we are. Yeah, maybe <laughs> but we not are. High school. <laughs> Why not join the rec league? Right. So I have a friend who just ran a marathon and she trained for it for months. And what she did is she involved her family in the training. Even if she got up before they woke up for the day, she would let them know how her run went that day. She would tell them how many miles she was going to go the night before she would give them reports. And in doing that, she invited them in the process of seeing what it took for her to work towards a big goal. And what I love though, is on race day, it actually didn't go great for her at at a certain point. She found her legs were just not moving. They were like in cement blocks and she was trying to run and reach her goal that she'd worked so hard for. And she called her husband on the phone and told him about how it was going. And he encouraged her and coached her through it. But at the end of the finish line, guess who joined her in that last stretch? It was her daughter. And it was just this wonderful moment of that daughter being able to show like you've modeled for me and how I've been reaching for goals, how to encourage someone and be there. You've also let me in on this process. So now I can do that for you. You did not hit your goal and you're discouraged, but I can cheer you on. And this friend is actually public too. Her name is Courtney Rich. She's cake by Courtney. And she just did a reel on that. That was really awesome. If people want to go and see that moment at the end of her daughter running alongside her and basically holding her at the finish line. But I I love that. What happened was all before that, like why that moment was able to happen was because of everything Courtney did to invite her kids in on something she was working towards and the ups and downs that entailed and also a messy outcome for her that day. I love that. That takes a huge amount of vulnerability and humility on a parent's part. Yeah. Because again, we don't want them to carry the burdens. So sometimes it can be hard to know how much do I let them in or how much do I let them see that I'm struggling? And I would say, if you're worried about that, just take it moment by moment. You don't have to decide that in advance (laughs) because life is not that predictable anyway. So just take it moment by moment. No, I love that. Okay. Speaking of Instagram moments, (laughs) 
you did something really interesting on your Instagram, which by the way, Monica has a fantastic Instagram that you need to go check out, but Thanks. you did like a cleanish house yeah. thing and you got yes. a lot of response to that because I think it really resonates because it combines two things that I want to ask you about, which is as parents, we have a lot to do's. Yeah. Cleaning our house, getting the errands run, making sure that nobody starves to death or get sleep and not too many video games and all. Like we have so many things to do. Yes. Besides dentists, doctors, managing our own self. Tell me how you think to-dos and perfectionism intersect. We're going to go back to that misplacement of identity piece. When we're looking at outcomes, we can see that with productivity really easily. We can be able to say, look at all the things I did today. And with children, especially teens, that can be a point of big conflict because one, we don't see all that they do during the day, especially if they're in a traditional school setting and not being homeschooled and also like how tired they might be by the end of the day and Mm -hmm. all that. And we also need help and we want them to learn responsibilities and include them in the to-dos of the household which I really believe in a lot, especially as a mom of of four boys. I want those boys to know how to do their own laundry and make their own meals and all those kinds of things. So this just goes back to a balance of one, how are we modeling our sense of self removed from our productivity? And then two, how are we removing our anxiety of our children and their sense of self and who they are from their level of productivity too? Don't go the all or nothing route. Again, if saying that means like they I just have to let them be, no, include them in the process, but make sure it's realistic and matches their life. Make sure it's a stretch, like a place you're stretching them to be a little uncomfortable, to contribute in ways that aren't easy for them necessarily, but not so much that they snap and that your relationship snaps too. Now I'll say I have a 12 year old as my oldest, so I haven't had the same experience as many people who are listening yet. And I'm sure there's going to be many things that I do not know, but I at least know that's what is working for my kids is trying to have that teeter totter of knowing when I need to push them and require more of them. And when I need to give them some grace and step back a little bit and just give them a moment to breathe. But I think like everything we can teach our kids, it comes back most often to modeling, just grammar sometimes. (laughs) Dang it. The answer is me. (laughs) The answer is me. The nice thing about that is though, is that our kids need to have models for them, how to own mistakes, say, I'm sorry, get things wrong and fix it. So it really is perfect. Yeah. We don't have to model being never getting it wrong as a parent because then they don't get the model of how to fix it when they don't get it right. And I feel like the Gottman Institute was the percentage of how many times we have to get it right is like 50%. <laughs> it's like an, an astonishing number where you're like, oh, that's it. As that's long do as it. That's attainable. Preparing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I tell my clients all the time, if you can just shift the scale so that it's more than half that you are behaving in this new way, that's a win. Yes. And an A is 80%. So actually a B minus is really like an A. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. We have to change that whole percentage. Yes. 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 System. Okay. Monica, before we wrap up your portion, is there anything else that you want to add in or anything fantastic that you're doing right now that my listeners need to know about? 
I will say one thing that has helped me the most as a parent, as I'm navigating these waters of three, my kids have special needs and I'm sure there's many more needs to come both emotionally and physically and also developmentally because they keep changing. That's just how it goes. Yeah. The thing that has grounded me a lot, both for myself and for my parenting is knowing what my values are. And these aren't like my religious moral values. I'm talking about all values being good values and what my specific ones are. And to help them do that, I do have a values exercise that might be helpful. It's called the ultimate values exercise, and they can get that for free at aboutprogress.com slash values. Okay. And we'll put that in the show notes if you're driving or folding laundry or something and can't hit pause. Yes. Write that down. That'd be great. I told you about being a middle school teacher. Well, the first full day I had as a brand new teacher, the second the end of day bell rang, I immediately left the school, drove to the mall and bought a pair of comfortable shoes. Nobody prepared me for how much my feet would hurt. And they also didn't prepare me for how hard it would be to find a pair of shoes that were both comfortable and cute. Well, times have changed, luckily, and I am so thrilled to share our sponsor with you today, Vionic Shoes. Vionic specializes in wearable well-being for your feet with shoes that have amazing, amazing arch support. But before you picture the grandma shoes I was stuck with wearing for years when I was forced to choose comfort over cute, I want you to think about the perfect pair of slip-on sneakers. The loafers that strike the right balance of feminine and masculine, which is my favorite combo, and the boots that go with everything this fall. Listen, it was hard to choose my first pair, but I went bold and got the Alfinas, a pair of Oxfords with a thicker sole, but not too thick, in platinum black leather. Now, I love Oxfords because they make me feel like me, but most of the ones I own are most decidedly not comfortable, so I haven't been reaching for them regularly in some time. But my new Alfinas from Bionic were comfortable from the first second I put them on and required no break-in period. I immediately wore them all day, feeling so comfy and supported while I went up and down the stairs to my office, all over my house, and even walking my kids home from school after pickup. I felt very stylish all day. And now I feel like I don't have to wait for special occasions to wear my favorite style of shoes because Bionic has made them more realistic, in other words, comfortable for me to wear every day if I want to. You don't need to sacrifice cute for comfortable. You can have both. Use code PROGRESS at checkout for 15% off your entire order at www.bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. And that's one-time use only. Again, that's the code PROGRESS for 15% off at bionicshoes.com. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So now we're turning the tables, and it's my yes. turn. 
to interview you, which I'm so excited for. And can we actually begin with you telling a little bit of your own story as you moved into the teenage years with your children? You're just a step ahead of me in that department. Uh, So what was that transition like for you as a parent and as a family? Yes. When I was having little ones, I have to say, while I loved my babies, I had always really looked forward to midlife, actually being out of strollers and nap times and diaper bags and being able to have intelligent conversations and travel and be with my kids on a more adult plane. And so it was really hard when they were reaching those ages and wanted nothing to do with me Mm. because I just thought I've been waiting for this moment. And it's literally the opposite of what I wanted. And so it was a hard transition. But again, I found all of these psychology tools. And I actually went back to school and took psych classes and adolescent development classes on top of my coaching certifications. And so now I have what I wanted. (laughs) Paint the picture for us a little bit. When you say like they did not want anything to do with you. What did that look like from your kids? And we're not trying to demonize them. This is just a nice way. No, you're totally, it's a good question. So my oldest would just never be home or, and then my son just was very prickly toward me. Wouldn't let me hug him. I was always stupid. They never called me stupid, but when kids will correct you or just roll their eyes at you, I could tell that they didn't enjoy being with me. Hmm. It was nothing overt whatsoever, just non-connected. And that's so tough. I I imagine as they were little children, that was a big place of pride for you of just knowing like I'm building these connected relationships and looking forward to how they grow. Well, they did adore me when a little, like nothing beats their tiny little arms around your neck and they pull you in and they just are so chewy sweet. And I loved that. And I just thought, duh, we'll just maintain this. And they might not want to pull me in for a hug quite as often, but it really was very cold and distant. So I talked about differentiation earlier. And Mm -hmm. you talked about how you went back to school just to help yourself get through these teen years better. And I'm sure there was a lot of learning about age appropriate development and differentiation. So how about you enlighten the parents who are beginning or maybe they're halfway or they're past it too. And they just want to know more of the science of like, why did my kid start disconnecting from me? Why did they start not liking me or wanting to be around me or finding it so easy to criticize me? Yes. So there's two different chunks. There's the criticism and then the pushing away. So the criticism piece comes from realizing that we're not perfect. All of a sudden they are seeing things more clearly and they can see what's hypocritical about us. They can see what's imperfect about us. They can see our flaws for the first time Mm -hmm. and it can be revelatory for them. It's like their eyes are now open because their brain is developing into a more adult brain. And so even though we're the same person, they're seeing us through a a different lens, a new lens. And that must be shattering for them too. Totally. And and they haven't learned the skill of a filter yet. (laughs) I feel like parents and children can both objectify one another pretty easily. 
as a mom, have you ever felt that the only reason you exist in your kids' eyes is to feed them and meet their needs? Hmm. Like you're just an object to them. I don't know if I'm alone in that. No, you're not. You're not alone. But so all of a sudden they're like, here's this object of a mother that's always done these. She's doing these things wrong. I need to point them out to her. Just like we take liberties with our little kids to point Mm. out what, what they're doing wrong. Like it's this reverse of roles, honestly. Okay. I can see that. And then with the other psychological thing going on, that happens because it's like this psychological milestone where we want to be independent of our parents and assert our adultness. That can be a normal stepping stone that, and for everybody, it looks a little bit different, right? For one, are you trying to say they're, I just want to make sure I understand. Like they're trying things on for science. They're like, trying things on, but in a way that separates them from us. Got it. They want to assert their independence and autonomy. It's really common when kids are getting ready to leave the nest their senior year, they'll start fighting a lot more with their parents okay. because then it won't be as devastating when they leave because they'll be mm. sick of each other. Okay. It's a psychological thing that our kids are doing throughout adolescence because they want to be independent of us. Okay. It's actually psychologically healthy, even though it can be really frustrating. But when you approach it as this is totally normal and not a problem, and how can I love and set boundaries and rules and let them still feel like an independent human? Do you remember as a teenager thinking... My parents have nothing to do with me. I'm my own little person and I just live at their house and I love them and all they're great, but they don't play into my identity so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're trying to assert that. Okay. Can you talk a little bit more about why is that healthy then? It's not fun. Yeah. They're doing well, it, but why is it a good some thing? Parents might want their kids to live with them and need them into their thirties, but most parents don't. Right. And the parents that do want their kids to constantly need them, that's something that the parent should look at strongly (laughs) Um, because that's also not healthy for the parent. We want our kids to be functional adults, but it still hurts when that begins sooner than we would like. So the big picture here is we want to raise independent functional adults who have a strong sense of self. And before that, there's going to be a lot of mess and and includes good and bad, but there's going to be a time period where it's happening sooner and in ways that are not fun and maybe unhealthy or a little even scary at times. Yeah. Another analogy to look at would be, and sometimes this is a smooth transition. Sometimes it's very rocky when a couple gets married and then their peers with their parents, right? Uh, You have a mother-in-law that doesn't want to cut the apron strings. You have a father who still wants his son to be his best friend. You have, and so that's another level of growing up and having to readjust the family dynamic. Maybe that's easier for us to remember if we think back on the years when we were first married, if it was an adjustment for our families of origin. So our lens 
in, in my podcast is perfectionism, right? And we can talk about perfectionism parenting, which I'm grateful that we were able to do when you were on your side of, yeah. of the table leading it. I want to ask, how do we handle then when our kids are in this developmentally appropriate phase of differentiating and trying to assert autonomy, but what they're doing is they're almost becoming perfectionists to us where it's that lens of criticism is if it becomes pretty high and pretty obvious, and it's really hurtful to have our flaws pointed out, our mistakes often, uh, shouted from the rooftops in ways that are new to us. How would you recommend parents better manage that tricky part of this phase? Yeah. It's a combination of humility and confidence. So owning, yeah, you've never noticed that before, but it's always been there. Sorry, dude. I am disappointing sometimes. Hmm. I've learned to live with it. You can too. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, like and then also, like you said, our role is to model for our children. And so that doesn't mean that we should just continually let them speak to us in a way that no other human would put up with. Yeah. So you can say, yeah, that's true. And also, saying that at the dinner table in front of everybody, would you appreciate that if I had done that to you? Mm. That was really embarrassing to me. And calling them out in a loving way, like, why did you feel I am? And everybody laughed, you got attention. But doing that to people in the future, you're probably not going to have a lot of friends. That's not good social etiquette. Right. And mentoring for them. Yeah. So it's a fine line of, like you said, humility and confidence, but with that also knowing when to help them learn how to empathize and, and see yes. you as a person. Cause sometimes yes. I feel like once they begin to see you as an actual person, all they can see is the bad, which is yeah. What's hard. Yeah. And what we have done to them often sheds a light on why they're behaving the way that they are to us. Not that we cause them to treat us that way because that totally may or may not be the case, but it can, if your kids aren't to that point yet, reflect on how you speak to them, how you correct and guide them and do it in a way that you wouldn't mind being in their shoes. Right. That's and so powerful. Wow. Yeah. Because otherwise mm-hmm. we're just setting the stage for how they'll treat us potentially, not always you have different personalities in the mix, but that's a good foundation to set. I would never do that to you. Why did you feel that it was appropriate to do that to me? Are you just seeking attention? Like you did get everybody to laugh when you said that, but also nobody wants those kinds of friends that use everybody else as the butt of their joke. That's not kind. And we're not an unkind family. So how could you have done that differently or whatever? Just walking through them through and correcting them so that they're socially aware. And so to be able to make our kids socially aware that what we think is appropriate or entertaining or attention grabbing, there's another side to that and to consider that as well. And that's just a process. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you're not going to, after you listen to Heather, you're not going to go about your day and just totally do this perfectly from here and just think, I got this. Now I understand it's developmentally appropriate and they're not socially aware and it's blah, 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 but it's going to take a a few bad tries of being able to deal with it in ways that you're not taking it to heart so much when they say it, but also trying to help them become that adult. So one thing Uh I wanted to, to ask you about is, as we're moving into the teenage years and when they're little, trying to not just point out what they're doing wrong and the flaws and what they need to fix and do better, praising where they're doing well, encouraging them and all of that without it being about on the outcomes, which we've already talked about with my side. How do we do this with teens though? Especially what if we feel like we didn't do a great job of this when they were kids, but now what's coming back in the other direction towards us? How can we do that? With my two oldest kids, I use two different approaches. So with my oldest, I just started behaving differently. Because relationships are like a dance. If you're used to doing the tango, but then one of you starts doing the waltz, the other person can't really do the tango. And it causes them to pause and rethink their steps. And let's say you're used to every time your kid comes home, you fight about their missing assignments. Mm -hmm. Right? Or their phone. And you have this typical conversation of they walk in the door and you're like, dude, I, this, the school emailed, you're missing two assignments in math and what, and you had your phone off. So I don't know where you went during lunch or whatever. Like, Oh, you're such a nag. Why do you, I I did it. And they haven't turned it in. And you're like, you're not going to be able to go out this weekend. If you don't, you have to stop saying the things you normally say, because then they can't say, Oh, back at you because you didn't give them a reason to. You're like, Hey, how was your day? I know you always come home hungry and I made you a grilled cheeser. How's math going? I noticed that you're missing a few assignments. What's going on? Tell me. Oh, she just hasn't entered them in. Oh yeah. That happens sometimes. And tell me about what's going on with this. Right. And sometimes our kids are, have their headphones in. They don't want to talk to us. That's fine too. We can always change how we choose to interact with them. And that changes how, what they have to respond to, which changes Mm -hmm. the dance. Okay. That's awesome. So you change your behavior and you said you have another method you do with a different child. What's that? Yes. With my son, I called myself out. I was like, listen, I have nagged you. I have been unkind. I have done X, Y, and Z, and I'm sorry. And our relationship is so important to me that I'm trying to change. Please be patient with me. Hmm. And that was like the best thing that I could have done for us. It, It depends on the personality and where you're at with each kid, right? There's, like you said, following your gut is the biggest way to control how you show up. So Listen to your gut, respond to your kids, how you think is appropriate. And you might be wrong the first time. So then just rethink it. It's really not a problem to take a few different attempts to figure out what works. And then the situation might change and you might have to do it again and figure out the process all over again with a different kid, or maybe it was from phone to dating. You just really have to have a lot of tools and kind of the foundational principles, and then you can apply the, the principles and tools to any situation. Fantastic. 
I know that's hard for people who just want prescriptions, but I know with my work and with your work, prescriptions don't work. Like we could probably ask Heather, what's the exact conversation we should have? Give me a script and then I can follow it. And for 98% of us, it won't work with our particular child for many different reasons. And so learning how to be more intuitive about parenting and life in general, that's the key to so much. And that comes back to being grounded in yourself and your values and knowing who you are and letting that help you rise above that roller coaster that parenting can give. I know I've used that metaphor so much, but I just don't think there's any better way of visualizing what this looks like. So I have two final questions for you. I'm a little bit more rapid pace. And the one that I think will be really nice to hear is how can imperfect parents still be connected parents? Because at the end of the day, when they were young and it was easier to connect because we could just use our bodies in so many ways, because that's where they were at developmentally. And it's changed with teens. How can imperfect parents still be connected parents with their teens? Yeah, we're all imperfect. And there are parents who are connected to their teens. So we know it's possible. But the one thing is just grace for everybody. One of my favorite phrases is, and that's okay. Mm. I yelled and that's okay. They got mad and that's okay. I did that poorly and that's okay. They're flunking math and they might not graduate. And guess what? That's actually okay. That's okay. How do I want to just show up with love? Hmm. Love really is when you were saying there's not one thing that we can say, like there's not a script that we can take, but there is a line. And that is, I love you no matter what, Hmm. that there's never an inappropriate time to say that. I love you no matter what. We're going to get through this together. I'm here to help you. I'm on your team. One of the biggest things um, that I had to fix, especially with my son, is showing him that I really was on his team. I was no longer on the opposing side. And so when tense situations would come up, I'm on your team. I'm your biggest cheerleader and advocate. I want you to succeed. And just, I guess that's not really one concise thing. Sorry. (laughs) No, but it is though. I think the heart of it is like you said, grace. Yeah. And it reminds me of something Heidi Swap often says, which is don't freak out. Mm -hmm. Just try to have that grace for yourself and for them, take a minute and let that minute give you the grace you need to show up. Yeah. We really are just all doing our best, including your kid who doesn't want to get up off the couch and is late to school every day. They're doing their best. Yeah. It's easy to skip over that, but I think starting there is is huge. The last question is what is one small way listeners can take action on what they learned today from you? Yeah. I'm pausing because it just is ironic. Don't expect to be perfect. Yes. (laughs) Back to the whole grace thing. Try one little thing. You don't have to try all of them. Try one little thing, one little tweak. The The title of my podcast is Pivot Parenting. And so every episode, I just offer one pivot, one slight turn, one shift. So just take one thing, practice that, get it to be above 50%, come back and listen, and then implement something else. A lot of parents feel like this is a race and there's a lot of urgency 
that's a sneaky way for perfectionism is urgency. Like huh. I, it has to be right now. Yes. The lie. It's never too late. It's going to be okay. Take your time. Breathe. Like you said, pause, connect, breathe, come back and just try one little shift. Beautiful. I feel like pivot parenting is what we do for personal development. You do for parenting, but you just make it more doable, more encouraging, but also still the push you need to try something different, to do it a little bit better. And time is often what helps us reap the rewards that we need. So I want to know, I know I'm asking one final question, but I'm like, yeah, I love it. Now, what is it like? You still have at least one team, right? How many teams do you have now? My oldest is now 22 and my baby is 13. Yeah. So you're, you're... I'm out of elementary school, which is wild. Things are fantastic. That doesn't mean that we hold hands and sing Kumbaya around the Mm -hmm. fire. Sometimes we do. And that's fun in a proverbial way, but we still have human brains. And so we still need to be like, ouch, or need our space or whatever, but we're all so much more respectful and connected and honest with one another. It really is exactly what I had always pictured on the larger scale. The details may or may like maybe different, right? My kids are in different places in their life than I had pictured, but the most important place is intact, which is firmly planted in our family with love and connection which is fantastic. Yeah. And I actually, I'm really excited. I'm writing a book right now. It's called how I fixed my teen. And it's in a memoir of me and my oldest mm-hmm. and all the details of our, our journey, right? When she threw me a shoulder in the kitchen or when I ran from church crying, like all mm-hmm. the details, I have journal entries. It is raw and vulnerable. And I'm so excited for it to be published either the end of this year or in 2024. Awesome. So we will look for that. And I would encourage them to one, follow you on your podcast, Pivot Parenting on Instagram. What, where are you on there? Just Heather Frazier coaching. And my website is heatherfraser.com. Super easy. I have in my Instagram bio, I have a parenting course and then I have a free PDF. A lot of what we've talked about today perfectionism and conversations. And when our kids point out our flaws, a lot of times that's when we're trying to negotiate things, right? Like curfews or phone rules. And so I have a free one page PDF on negotiating with your team. And that's on my Instagram bio, lots of good stuff. So on both sides, we'll link to all the things. Yes. Gosh, this was really cool. This was really fun. Thank you so much, Monica. Thank you too. I can't wait. Can't wait to hear this. I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants you need to grow. I'll now share the progress pointers from this episode. These are the notes I took so you don't have to, and those on my newsletter get them in a graphic form each week. You can sign up at aboutprogress.com newsletter. Number one, perfectionism is a misplacement of identity. We place our sense of self on our outcomes. 
This is especially burdensome when our identity as parents is based off of the outcomes of our children. Number two, work to model progress for your kids. Start with inviting them into how you are handling your own failures as you work on something that matters to you. Number three, for kids, track where their sense of self is coming from. Be aware of the perfectionism that can look different in kids, like lazy, as much as it could look like overachieving. Number four, it is natural and developmentally appropriate for teens to want to distance their own identities from their parents. One of the ways they do this is by recognizing and even pointing out the ways we are not perfect. And number five, to pivot connecting with your frustrated teen, acknowledge where you fall short, model and teach empathy and social awareness, shift your behavior where needed, and be transparent about how you're shifting your parenting. Your do something challenge this week is to make one pivot in your parenting. And this can be something as simple as in the moment you realize you are going too far one direction, maybe too far in being a disciplinarian or maybe too far in being uh, giving them grace. It happens to the best of us on both sides. And maybe in that moment you decide to pivot. When you do a pivot, I would love to hear about it. You can direct message me on Instagram, or you can email me at hello at aboutprogress.com. I love to hear from you. And I pull from these submissions to do a progressor spotlight a couple times a month on some of our Thursday episodes. Before we go today, I again want to remind you to make sure you do your own tricks and treats gathering night. I really, really hope we get women all over our community hosting those nights. It can be as simple as inviting two, two friends over, even one, start there. And when you do, make sure you tell me about it too and how it goes. I, will, I, I would love to hear about it and I can't wait to share a special episode we're going to be doing in November where I collect some of the tricks that you share with me from your own gatherings. You can find all the resources for that at aboutprogress.com slash tricks and treats. As we are preparing for our seven year anniversary, I want to thank you in advance for doing those gatherings and just for listening and being part of this community. It means so much to me. Thank you for listening and now go and do something with what you learned today. While modeling progress over for... Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.